at Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy uh, ACC Media Days. Happy one week, one game from bowl eligibility. Happy quarterback controversy week. Game two of the World Series. Game two of the World Series. Uh, What else we got? Uh, That's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of weeks. We haven't had that many weeks in a while, but we're, I mean, we're quite a day, really. Yeah. And, and also a week. <laughs> a day and a week, and it's not even basketball season A month or even yet. your year. Oh, God. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> there's just a lot going on. Um, there's going to be a lot going on next week. We might have two podcasts, or we might just have one. Uh, we'll figure it out just because we have basketball season previews that we obviously need to get done. We're going to pull in James, our basketball editor, for that. As, as everyone knows... Dan and I could stay on topic for only a limited amount of time. We do feel like those season previews do need the the utmost attention. So we, we throw all the, the off-topic crap into the regular podcast and then have a separate one for season preview stuff that largely stays uh, in line with everything that, that we should be talking about. It's definitely, definitely the case. And, and also, if we were trying to, like, spin a season preview for basketball in with a football, a full football week, a very, a very full football week, um, no way in hell. Yeah, with a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, next week is is, is Wake Forest week, and, and that's not. There's no way that that's sitting on the sidelines. As long as no one makes me go to Winston Salem and sit through like gale force winds <laughs> and 32, 32 degree rain, um, yes. Yeah, pass on that. Anyway, uh, focusing on well, first last week, and then we can move into this week. Um, Syracuse won, and they won in like the in the most and least Syracuse way possible by making a key substitution late and suddenly performing very well under pressure on both sides of the football. Yeah, I think we've seen this, especially like on the defensive side. The metrics look good, but the actual play doesn't always look great. But then at the end, they seem to make, they make, they're great on third down. Once again, like this was the case through, I'd say like two thirds of last season um, before everything fell apart. Yeah, before the wake up. before the weight game, and then then they were terrible on third down in that game, but they've been really good on third down for the better part of, of two two years. Um, they remain very opportunistic, which was not the case last year. They barely forced turnovers last year. This year, they force a lot of turnovers, and they just do a really good job of, and then special teams really helps. Obviously, it's not on the defense specifically, but that combination of things where you're getting turnovers, you're getting third down stops, and then your special teams are ace aside from the um, aside from the punt return touchdown, which didn't knock us from the number one spot in special teams SMT plus, uh, surprisingly. Although I guess we just had a really big lead. I also don't know exactly how that factors in specifically, but either way, um, all those things like may, they're they're the things you need to do to win football games, especially close, uh, dumb football games like the one we saw on Saturday. Um, and then it doesn't hurt when your redshirt freshman quarterback comes in and throws three touchdowns over the course of like maybe one quarter of play, essentially. If even. Um, if even. Yeah. Obviously, the overtime is like kind of a weird. You can't really like just factor that right in. But still, <laughs> let's call it one quarter. You threw for three touchdowns in one quarter and 180 yards. 
Yeah, I mean, based on how Syracuse's offense usually runs itself in terms of, like, game time, having two overtimes and running all of, like, you know, five or six plays in those two overtimes, I mean, you can assume Adino Baber's offense probably gets that done in two and a half minutes. Add in, like, the five minutes of game time that um, when Tommy DeVito came in, the fact that SU held the ball for maybe three of those minutes, like... You only end up at about five and a half minutes. And, and, and that, based on the speed of this offense, can sometimes be a quarter's worth of, of, of ball possession. It was really interesting to me, too. I, we noted it early in the year, whenever DeVito, the first two games, really, when DeVito came in, especially that Western Michigan game, when he was in, like, everything kind of seemed to slow down and the team wasn't clicking. And um, as soon as we put Dungey back on the Western Michigan team, everything's just reset themselves to normal. And in this game, obviously, I think we're both of the mindset that there's something going on with Eric Dungey where he's he's obviously well enough to play, but not play to the level in which we've been, grown accustomed to seeing him play. Right. And I don't know if it's that or the fact that DeVito's been consistently getting first-team reps, which has clearly like kind of turned into a, a stroke of genius by on Baber's part, considering how things have played out. Um, but in this game, and in the Florida State game, too, um, when Dungey left with the injury, like the, it's almost switched, where like the offense was a little bit out of sorts throughout most of the game. And then DeVito comes in and obviously he's a very different player in the offense while remaining the same in terms of like the actual plays run um, kind of developed differently because of his, his, the, the fact that he can just wing the ball downfield and, and make these awesome NFL throws where Dungey gets those occasionally, but not as consistently um, has just totally opened things up. The offensive line, I thought started playing much better uh, with DeVito in, which was not the case earlier in the year. So it's a weird switch we've seen over the course of the season and I think some of that is that it, it, the first team reps that DeVito's been getting. But um, it's also like, I don't know, it's just a very interesting thing that I noticed that was very jarring in this game. Yeah, I mean, Jamal Custis said that, that you know, that type of production was something they've been working on in the summer. Um, it was obvious that, like, DeVito came in and had a rapport with a lot of these guys. Uh, we don't know to what extent he's getting first team reps and practice during the week. Um, if, like you and I suspect, uh, Dungy's hurt a little bit. I mean, who knows how many reps Dungey's really getting in practice at this point? That's um, fair, too. So, like, yeah, like, o- over the course of a season, like, if Dungey's been hurt the last couple of weeks, and again, this is big if, maybe DeVito's been getting 75% of the reps with the first team. Like, that's how you suddenly see a, a DeVito getting a, a more quick release than he has been. Again, he's hitting receivers in stride. I mean, part of this, too, and I'll fully admit, like, I was well on the DeVito bandwagon at the end of this game after being very much in the let's hold our horses, you know, camp uh, before that. But, like, DeVito is hitting guys in stride, and maybe it's because there's not a lot of game tape on him. Maybe it's because Carolina really hadn't prepared for him uh, being out there. No, yeah, and and they're also not very good. (laughs) Um, But, like... I felt like on both sides of the ball, the same way that we, we keep ascribing like a certain type of momentum to Dungey on both sides of the ball, I felt like DeVito was able to capture that and then some, where he came out, again, firing, hit a 50-yard pass on the first one. If it wasn't for that holding call inside the 20, you know, on that first possession, maybe he ties it on his first go-around. Like, DeVito really looked good um, in, in that game, and, and I felt like... You know, most of the, I mean, the interception got baited a little bit. That'll happen as a freshman. But in, in general, like, he did seem to, to really have himself together. And in overtime, I felt like he was he was almost flawless, where the, this team and this offense, like, just really understood 
you know, what it needed to do and, and took some of those lessons that they, they learned from, a, from an unsuccessful overtime period against Pitt and, and applied them quickly and, and was able to, to, to come away with the win. I, I really liked what I saw all around. And I think, again, like if Dungy's healthy and, and able to compete at near 100%, even at 85%, I think Dungy's probably the guy. But if Dungy isn't and, and there's some lingering things happening, I mean, DeVito was able to do a lot with, with, with a very short amount of time. Um, and, and it looked like night and day from, from the you know, the first game against Western Michigan. And I'd say it looked much more dynamic from, from the game management that we saw from him, successful game management, mind you, um, against Florida State. So uh, we'll see. I think there's going to be an ongoing controversy the rest of the year, no matter what happens on Saturday. Um, but, but I do like the fact that for the first time in a long time, probably since uh, 2009, Marone's first year, um, you know, SU has two, who's two serviceable quarterbacks who could both potentially win a game. Yeah, it's really tough for me. I think, I think it, this it's a it's the rare thing where I can really see every side of the Dungy Devito debate. Um, I think if you're taking everyone at their word and De- and Dungy's healthy, I think he has met so much of this program over the last couple of years, and it's not like he's playing like he's not like he looks like terrible. He just doesn't look like himself. But if he's healthy and it's just a, a cold streak, I think he has earned enough goodwill where I, I, I think right now I'd feel most comfortable with them starting Dungy and then just saying, like, both guys are playing, both guys are probably playing, like, even snaps, and whoever takes control of this game, go. And I haven't loved that as a strategy for any team, really, but we've seen more more college football teams be okay doing that. And obviously, I think I think Babers kind of tipped his hand by bringing up that Arizona thing from his, his first go-around as an OC. Right. Um, I, I kind of think that's what we're going to see. I think... I think it's hard. You, you don't want to. You don't want to sell your seniors down the river. And I know it's like very much a off-field um, thing that you can't just like. You, there's, you can't really crunch the numbers and figure out what the right thing to do there is. But there is something to like having respect for the guys who've been through the program and have been through like some real ups and downs of this team. And Dungy's obviously meant so much to the team and the fan base. And and it almost makes it like a little annoying that uh, that that some people have been so quick to like you know, automatically call for DeVito to start no matter what. And I get it. And like, if they just start DeVito, I'm not going to be upset by any means. Cause I, I also think like DeVito has been their quarterback who has led them to the two biggest wins of the season. And it's not really debatable. Like that's just the case. Um, and DeVito at his best has looked like the best quarterback on the team this year. Now that's still a very small sample size and it's two very questionable defenses, but you can't throw it away. So I'm kind of here for both. I really hope we see both guys. Um, and if DeVito is just the better guy, then you ride him. But but for now, I think I, – I, I assume we'll see Dungy start the game. I'm totally cool with that. And I think we'll probably see DeVito in the first quarter, and it's just going to be – you know, we're going to see who wants to, who wants to like, win this job. And that's okay because um, I don't think it's so – I don't think we've gotten to the place where it's, like, Tagovailoa versus Hurts, where, like, Hurts a nice player, Tua is, like, 25 touchdowns, no interceptions, and is so clearly the better player. Um, we, we don't have that sample size yet. But I, I'm willing to, to – I think we're, we, as a fan base, like, should, should allow ourselves to get there. And, and if it happens, if DeVito, like, takes the job and it's so clear that he's the better guy, then, then go with it and let's, let's see how many games we can win. But if it's still pretty close, like, I think Dungy's earned his opportunity to keep his job here. Yeah, I, I would 100% agree there. I, like, I don't think – I don't think any – I don't think the last three weeks have really inspired a ton of confidence – um, in terms of what, what, what Dungy can do, unfortunately. But that said, like, if whatever was going on, whether it's an injury or just, 
pressing, bad reads, whatever it is, if those go away. And if, you know, DeVito looks more like Florida State DeVito, I, I, and, and again, that's not to say Florida State DeVito was bad, but if that's the case, then like, sure, whatever. Like, but let's go, like, whoever's going to give us the best case to win, the best chance to win needs to be the guy. Um, and, and I think most fans would agree with that. I think most fans would be fine with with either going out there. To be honest, like if I if we see a two quarterback system, I think that that should mean that Devito's the guy in, in a lot of ways. But I think that you know there, there's easy ways to use both in a single game without undermining either. I think Dungy is more of a momentum guy. I think he I think he's great with you know some good game flow behind him. Um, you know, kind of not back to the wall. I think. I think Dungy's shown repeatedly that he's not the guy to bring that fourth quarter comeback, but he is the guy to make those plays in game um, and, and kind of seize on momentum mid game um, as he's done, you know, against you know opponents good and bad. I, I think I'd love to see kind of a two quarterback system that uses him situationally, potentially, because he's the type of guy like if you're a defense and, and you're, you're you're gearing yourself towards a pro style. Uh, passer even in a spread system you're not suddenly going to be able to completely pivot on a dime to to a guy who can run and a guy who can you know demand you bring a spy and and, and suddenly you know run between the tackles you know as well as Dungy does so I think you know I, I'm no expert I don't really have any inside information here in terms of what's going to happen um, but I, I would say that I'm trending toward seeing more more DeVito but not exclusively DeVito yeah, no matter what, we have to see more DeVito. Like, well, that, that much is clear. Um, I do think there are two distinct advantages here versus some of the other uh, situations we've seen with, like, two quarter, like, quarterback controversies midseason for teams. Um, one is that DeVito knows this is his job next year. So there's right. no, like, oh, if he loses, the, if he if Dungy starts the rest of the season, he's in a transfer. Like, that, that'd be so dumb. Um, he knows he's inheriting this job. He knows the system is being built around him and that Babers is pretty – I mean, based on the play calling, it does seem like Babers is more comfortable calling um, – at least, like, calling the play situationally for DeVito's talents versus Dungy's. Um, so, like, it is what it is. And honestly, like, if you were to start DeVito and piss off Dungy, like, I don't love that just because, I, again, you have to – you do want your players to, to you know, rep for your school afterwards. But Plus, like, I could see Dungy writing a tell-all book, like, immediately afterward. Yeah. It wouldn't be great, but he is gone in a couple of weeks, which is pretty hard, you know, harsh. But it is what it is. But I think that's that's like, you know, case A versus what you saw. Obviously, we love to have the problems of Alabama, but the Alabama thing where like Tagovailoa was like thinking about transferring if he wasn't going to win the starting job, and then he got put in the national championship and it worked itself out. But like those are the those are the issues when you have two underclassmen. Dungy is graduating no matter what happens. Devito, unless he just like lost it, is going to be here no matter what happens. So that that's not an issue. And B, it's that they are such different players. Um, where you could like say say there's a team that is that is guarding our receivers on the outside really well. Um, you put in and, uh, and Devito's not having a lot of success throwing downfield. You put in Dungy, it opens up. It's a complete new element, and you have him dash you through the middle like he's done to so many teams. Um, I think you could really. I think it takes some work, and it's not ideal that this is like happening in midseason. But I trust Babers enough as an offensive mind where he can really take advantage of the two dis- of the distinct play styles and the distinct uh, strength that the two quarterbacks have. Um, and I don't know that a lot of the defenses we're facing here on out are going to be super well equipped to guard defendants both on, a, on one given week, especially when they have to now game plan for both for sure. Right. Yeah, I, I, I think that, to be honest, like if we're going to throw DeVito out there with no game film to really base it on, like this is the week. Um, it's not to say that SU can't find a sixth win somewhere else in the schedule, but... 
I, I think that, that strategically this is the week that if you want to punch somebody in the mouth with, with a guy who they don't really know much about and can't really scout well, I, I just think this is the week. Um, and, and then kind of figure it out after that. Again, I think I think even a DeVito start means you're seeing Dungy. Uh, just like a Dungy start, you're seeing DeVito. But I think giving a team something they can't really pre- uh, prepare for and a team that might be reeling after, you know, admittedly, like, I mean, the UVA win's fine. But, like, overall, like, I wouldn't say I'm impressed. And most people aren't by what NC State did before the Clemson game. And to see them get completely torched by by the same Clemson team that really struggled to beat Syracuse, like... To me, that means there's an opportunity here. And I think Bavers, knowing that, you know, obviously his job wasn't on the line no matter what happened last week, but um, there were a hell of a lot more questions for him to answer for if they lost that game just because of, you know, the lackluster play calling, the play of Dungy, the fact that the defense was continuing to struggle, especially against a bad UNC team. Like, if I'm him, like, let's let, let's put the questions to bed at this point and let's get to six. That even So even if the November struggles come back, um, you know, even with an, a bad Louisville team on that schedule, like at least you've already got six. Oh yeah, you, you don't out, go all out to win this game. It would, I think, there'd be a, a, a non-zero chance that Syracuse would sneak into the rankings it sits into based on how. how oh, I think uh, they're in. Yeah, based on how in flux the like last the bottom five of the top twenty-five has been. State's ranked, and the fact that Syracuse State's ranked, Syracuse would. Uh, uh, you know, competed with Clemson. Um, their only other loss is overtime to Pitt, which, you know, isn't a good loss, but it's not a terrible loss. Um, and they were flirting with the rankings a couple weeks ago. Um, I don't know. Did we, where were we in the also, I don't think the also receiving votes really matters all that much in terms of like week to week. But we were three outside at one point. I know we were at one point. Were we in them at all entering this week? We were, we had three votes in the coaches poll. Okay. So I think we're, we kind of fell all the way back after the 4-0 start. But again, I, I think you can jump up. You can jump up for none to the 25 pretty easily. And the, 20, the, the bottom five have been, like, switching like nuts. So and there's a lot of ranked-on-ranked ranked action this week. There's a lot of there's a lot of big conference matchups. Like, and, yeah, like you said, there there's, like, to me, like, you know, this might piss people off, but, like, I know they're undefeated, but, like, USF has looked increasingly bad. Oh, USF's going to lose. I think I think they're going to lose this weekend to Houston. Oh, Houston, I think they're going to get torched by Houston, but then I, it, you got to wonder, okay, is a, what would be like 6-2 and two Houston team that, like, is getting better by the week, is that team beating like a, a, a declining by the day USF squad going to be able to jump in? USF has basically been it's like, it's miraculous they've won two of the games they've won. They, sh- they absolutely should have lost to Illinois, which is telling you a lot. And then the fact they didn't lose, was it, uh, who was it, Tulsa last weekend? Yes. Where they were, they, they were done. Like, they were very done. much done until, like, all of a sudden they weren't. Like, I literally, I was out with, with producer Lewis at a bar near us, and we were like, oh, wow, they're going to lose. And they started edging themselves back. And then we just went to the bar directly next door, uh, and literally three minutes later they had won the game. It's like, oh, I have no idea how that happened. Um, So USF has completely uh, stated by on a couple different occasions. Um, I think they're going to probably finish. I wouldn't shock me if they lost like more than half of the the remaining games. They they they're not a bad team, but they uh, they've really used some voodoo magic to uh, to get to this far without a loss. And speaking of voodoo magic, it was nice to finally be on. I know like we're we're rarely involved because like we don't really give up leads either. But it was nice to be like on the the good end of one of those team has 95% chance to win with like a couple minutes left graphs and then which I'm sure was somewhat like that but we we, we stemmed the tide earlier than 
than what that usually looks like. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, we flirted with disaster for much of the remainder of the game, but we, we were still never, we were still never really in doubt once Dungeon came back in. And, and that was nice. But yeah, this game to see, uh, to see UNC at around 95%, uh, you know, win probability. And then to see that thing spike so wildly back in our direction, the second DeVito came in was nice. So more of that. Well, I guess not more of that. Let's not get into that situation to begin with. But if we're going to trail, uh, let's do something like that and and have a nice comeback. I think, you know, like it's tough to to glean a lot from 19 passes and 19 passes all in kind of desperation mode. But um, again, really like what I saw from DeVito, really like what I saw from Syracuse overall. I think, you know, before we get to halftime, happy to talk a little bit about this receiving core, which again, like, I love the fact, and you and I highlighted this right in the beginning of the season and, and, and all off season, and it's great to see it kind of come to fruition. Like, spreading the ball around and really not knowing who's getting it um, has really benefited this team, and I think especially if DeVito takes over, that's only going to benefit this team even more um, and, and, and let them really attack defenses. I felt like, you know, UNC, like, while they're not a great team, their defense wasn't bad. Uh, no, they're like a, the 53rd ranked yeah. S&P Plus defense, I like, think, which e- is solid. E- like, ECU that's... was the only real collapse from them. Which is just a bad, just a bad, bad performance. But the fact they had that and they still were like, like you know, in the in the top fifty-five is is you know shows that they've been pretty good otherwise. Yeah, they have, and like I mean, obviously, like we didn't face Malik Carney, and like I don't want to really broadcast that too many places. Um, Malik Carney being their best edge rusher, um, he did not play in that game, serving the end of the suspension, um, so that helped SU a little bit. That said, like, Dungey was under pressure plenty. Um, DeVito just did a nice job of, of avoiding pressure for the most part. But, yeah, like, you, you look up and down the, the list of receivers, like, you know, Dante Strickland, Ravy, and Pierce each had two catches, but, like, two critical catches apiece, especially for Pierce uh, getting that, you know, game-winning touchdown. Taj Harris, who we've been talking about for weeks, um, completely, I think at this point, is, like, has earned Devin Butler's job. Um, 100%. I mean, there's just like, you can't really deny it at this point. Like blocking, like, blocking is the only thing keeping him away from there. Yeah. Which is, which is a thing that comes with, with seniority, but like in passing down in passing situations, like Taj has to be out there. He is just such a, such a playmaker. Yeah. Like who would have thought like on that one seam touchdown that he had um, against Florida state that like, that would be like, that, that would be one of just many, many highlights for him. Again, I think we're going to see more of him. Riley, Riley had a drop in there, I think a big one, um, if memory serves. But at the same time, seven catches for 78. I think when Riley can catch the football, and, and it sucks that you have to add that caveat to any wide receiver, um, he is very good. He's very shifty. I actually really like using him in a like kind of Irv Phillips uh, – not even Irv Phillips. No, more like a, like a Brizzly Esteem type slot role where you don't really use him as much near the line of scrimmage where I feel like a lot of people can get a handle on him pretty quickly, but you use him kind of up the seam in the middle, exploit some mismatches, um, especially when, when teams are playing, you know, up with the linebackers against the run. Like, I think he's done a nice job there. And then, I mean, Nikeem Johnson all day. I, I, I need to see as much of him in this offense as possible. The guy is just, by the week, improves, and, and it's, it's excellent to watch. And it's also great to see, as a footnote, Jamal Custis, seven catches, 162 yards, one touchdown, looked like his old self, and his old self being the one we saw in week, two, in week one. 
um, just absolutely lighting up that secondary and using his size against them. Yeah, I, I think the young guys are another another point towards uh, the eventual like DeVitoing whenever that happens, whether it's it's full on this year or obviously next year. Like Johnson was a guy in his class. Tosh Harris is a freshman from Jersey. I, I don't know if they knew each other in Jersey, but I'll just throw it out there because it's a connection I can make. Um, <laughs> obviously, I think I think the uh, the fact they've come along really strong um, is really is great. But also, I, I imagine Devito spent more time. I like, probably just naturally had more time with them than Dungey probably did. Dungey obviously had older receivers who uh, came up with him. Uh, plus, like he's had more time with Custis, even if Custis is like a late a late bloomer here. Um, but just a, it's a really nice complement of players. Like Custis is obviously just a unicorn. Like the the, the touchdown catch uh, over the over the defender on the was that the uh, the first overtime touchdown was an absolute thing of beauty. It wasn't even like it was a nice back shoulder throw, but not perfect because it didn't actually quite get to the back shoulder. But it didn't matter because Custis is so much bigger than that dude that he just hauled it in over him and basically caught the guy's head with the ball. Um, and he can, he's starting to get rid of the drop issues. Um, obviously they're still there a little bit, but we haven't had like a glaring one in a couple of weeks, I don't think. And then Riley, like you said, is filling in that nice, like underneath, uh, can break one in open field role. And then Johnson and Harris are just rock solid, really, really nice receivers. They make card catches. Um, they go over the middle. Uh, I'm really excited to see those two guys, uh, continue to develop. Um, they're both like just super exciting to, to watch and, and you know Taj's a little bit bigger and Nike is is closer to like the Riley size although he plays differently which is nice they can kind of complement each other um but that whole group I think has really emerged and it's funny because like Custis is like kind of been in and out in terms of you know his, he, he's like on one week off one week in terms of just having this giant impact but right now he's on pace for like 1100 yards and probably seven or eight touchdowns so we're once again unless like teams really figure out how to defend him which I I don't know um unless you have a sits five cornerback standing somewhere He's going to get some big catches. It just is what it is. He's going to, like, we're going to end up having another, not, like, super prolific receiver, but probably another 1,000-yard receiver if we, assuming we don't do a bowl game. Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, like, if you look at him, it's, he's bigger just in terms, well, at least he was. Like, when he came on campus, and for a lot of the time he was on campus, he was a good 6'5", 130, I mean, 230. He's come down to about 215. Um, I don't know where he's at right now. I would assume probably similar just because of, you know, the weight, kind of players lose over the course of the season um, he's like he's really like he's like built though he's yeah like, super like he's not like Amba. impressive yeah like, like, like his size isn't necessarily much bigger than Amba's was but I do feel like he just brings a physicality um I I think you know I loved Amba deep but I think that I think like Custis when he's on one-on-one can just like absolutely uh destroy defensive backs because no one's going to have that size on him. It doesn't matter who you're facing. Um, and again, he really looked on, especially in the second half of this game. I mean, seeing seeing the playmaking skills he put on um, put on UNC late, um, getting those balls from DeVito. Like he's somebody who, yeah, he, he can have a pretty special season, even if it doesn't come with a hundred catches. It can come with you know sixty five. And there's still going to be sixty five really nice catches with, with with some with some real nice highlights in there. I think. It, what I find interesting about this receiving group overall is like, you know, you start to see um, some good, some bad here. Like, you start to see the fact that like Babers recruits at the receiver position have like barely trickled in here, um, and and it's interesting. It speaks to how good Taj Harris is that he's able to kind of leap in front of guys like you know RTB and Gerard Johnson and Cameron Jordan. Like 
there is a fleet of guys that 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 uh, that Harris has been able to kind of leap in front of um, from the last couple classes now, um, and I. I hope it's not damning towards some of those guys, but I think more than that, I'm just going to focus on the fact that it's it speaks really highly of, of Harris and really highly of Nakeem Johnson too. I, I really don't think it means it means much about what they're going to end up being. He's just been such a revelation. After like we we started to hear some like whispers about him late in camp, but it wasn't like he was jumping off the page or we were. I mean, obviously there's so much so much you can write with you know what the coaches give you and and like the five minutes of, of practice time we the writers get, but. Um, it wasn't like a guy who was generating this like crazy buzz in practice, but he's just like, you can't keep him off the field. And, and I think that has way more to do with him than it does the rest of the guys down the line. And I'm excited to see a lot of those guys, uh, Hendricks, um, more Sherrod Johnson, more of a RTB. Um, it's, you know, I, I'm, I'm uh, definitely not going to sell, sell the stock on those guys. I just think that the Taj Harris, that Harris Johnson combo next year, like we're, we entered this year with a lot of questions about the receiving, the receiving group. It's a shame that we're not getting one more year of Custis after this breakout, but I think we're all going to be very excited about the receiving group next year, like no matter what. Yeah, I, I think between them, Tristan Jackson, like obviously adding in him, the Michigan State transfer, former four-star, um, having yep. Abdul Adams to who, be able to... Who was, like, getting a lot of hype uh, heading, you know, from camp. Yeah, like, the, the, these guys, like, between the two, obviously, Jackson, Abdul Adams, adding them to, really, you don't lose a ton. I mean, you lose Custis, and he's, you know, the leading receiver right now. Um, and you're going to lose uh, Dante Strickland, who I think his role, I think, is understated, but still pretty critical, like, even if the numbers don't necessarily back that up. But to have, you know, Jarvin Howard, Mo Neal, and Abdul Adams in the backfield, uh, and who the hell knows who's going to get the majority of carries there. I'd say it's probably Neil until Adams figures it out, but who knows? Um, and then again, like that, that list of receivers that we kind of you know, alluded to that just seems to never end. It's, it, it's, it's a great time to feel good about a senior-heavy team and knowing that a senior-heavy team steps in for them, and then the year after that, another senior-heavy team follows them which is, again, weird for a Syracuse fan to say, but, like, for those doubting Babers, and there were plenty of idiots popping off on Twitter and, and elsewhere uh, on Saturday, like, just look at the depth, and, and even if even if we, by some awful miracle, lost every game for the rest of this season, just look at the depth. No, I, I before the UNC game, I think in the, pre, in the uh, unfortunate world, uh, the unfortunately, like, you know, you can't rule it out, a uh, situation in which Syracuse had like lost out and gone four and eight, or you even lost out and went you're won one more and then lost out, which is still on the table, I guess. Um, the argument for for keeping Babers on without much of a of an issue was that the the recruiting has clearly gotten better, and we've seen this before with like um, even Marone to Schaefer. Obviously, G Rob to Marone was evident, but even Marone to Schaefer, like the rankings might have gotten better, but you didn't see it on the field, like. Looking at the number of true freshmen and redshirt freshmen who are making a distinct impact on this team this year, um, is it, like it's very obvious that the recruiting has gotten better um, over the last couple of years. Uh, so that is not something you just throw away. So and yeah, it's just uh, it's very exciting. I, I feel it, it's funny because like the UNC, you could have easily you can easily spin the UNC like three point overtime win is like kind of disappointing given where the teams were, but with how it played out at the end. And the fact that it was very freshman driven, um, it's hard to like really get down on it. Also, uh, kind of an aside, uh, Tommy DeVito's average yards per completion this year 
uh, is over 14. <laughs> he is when he when he completes balls, it is down the field. Yeah, which is something that this team hasn't really been able to do with Dungey in there uh, so far, uh, which is concerning and something we started noticing last year. And I don't think that's necessarily on him um, as much, but I think this year, um, injuries aside, you know, when you have every opportunity to to develop, and that goes for him and the offensive coaching staff and the play calling too. Like when you have every opportunity to develop uh, the rapport and to develop uh, an ability to really move the ball down the field and you, and you can't do it, um, showing that, that another quarterback can um, doesn't necessarily leave a glowing review of, of kind of what this staff was able to do with Dungy over the offseason. Yeah, I would also say that DeVito, I do think based on the pedigree he came to SU with, um, does have like rare arm talent. Like he, I mean, I, I bring it up basically whenever anyone asked me about Tommy DeVito, I was like, oh yeah, he finished uh, second to two at Tundra at the elite 11 camp. So I saw him. It, his throwing was on like, and, and he's, he's only gotten really better since. Yeah. Like, and you know what? Like I, I would implore people to like, listen to the Tomahawk nation podcast when I was on with bud uh, earlier in the year. And like, Bud's as good of a, an evaluator of quarterback talent and, and, and high school talent as anyone. And also as no BS as like you'll ever find. Yeah, exactly. He has no reason to blow smoke over an SU quarterback recruit. Yeah, and, and, and he he had a ton. Him and me were both at uh, at that Elite 11, and and he had plenty to say about DeVito. So, and, and has plenty to say about him since. So, like, this isn't, this isn't you know, some, some BS. This is, he's the real deal for any doubters left. Um, and, and he's going to continue to succeed. And I think no matter when he takes over for good, um, I think SU is going to be much, much better off for it. And that's not to slight Dungy. It's just to, you know, hype DeVito more than anything. For sure. But that's the nice thing. It's not like, obviously, like some of it comes at, at Dungy's expense. It just is how, I mean, as you wrote in that really good column this week, that's how college football works um, for better or worse. And you see it more and more with, with how, I feel like there's just been this great avalanche of like, Quarterbacks are getting developed so quickly now, um, and you see it all the way through football. Um, and it's like college is right in the middle of that process. And if you're a senior quarterback, you better be really, really good by the time you're a senior. Because if you're if your coaching staff has any has you know done its work on the training trail at all, someone is going to be at your heels. Uh, and that's what we're seeing with Dungey. And and it really is it's like the circle of life with college football recruiting at this point. Hundred percent. If you haven't read that piece. It was fun. I actually wrote it shortly after the game and then like kind of tweaked it throughout the night on Saturday. <laughs> I used to do those on Sunday morning, but having a newborn around the house is not really conducive to that anymore. So, uh, yeah, anyone who reads my Sunday articles, they will now be written on Saturday and posted Sunday for those wondering where the perspective might be gained or lost. Um, anyway, halftime. We can we can sprint right along to, to some NC State and some basketball stuff after this. Uh, Dan, what were you drinking for the last week? Uh, so I did most of my beer drinking at a, a slight meetup with a couple of people who listeners to this podcast might know. There was a, there was a Sean Keeley and an Andy Predler and a James Zuba and uh, a Matt Glaude, a.k.a. Hoyasetza. Nice little noons, noons meetup in New York City uh, because Sean was here. Um, and we were at Rattle and Hum in uh, Midtown, um, so, and they have a surprisingly really good beer menu, which I didn't realize I'd gone by there a bunch. I don't think I'd ever actually been there. Um, but I had a, uh, a Deterra, a Cezanne from Tent Falls up in Connecticut, which was really, really good. Um, I had a Rhodes Mary's 
Baby, uh, Pumpkin Ale from uh, Two Roads in Connecticut, and then uh, a Party Crasher from LAC Beer Project in Lone Island City. Actually, a couple of those, just uh, they kept on running out of things, so I just started writing that one. Um, and then I also finished up my White Oak Highlight, so I hope to be able to find some more of that soon. Um, oh, I also had a Pumpkin at some point here. I don't, I, I, I checked into it at some point. I don't think I brought it up, but uh, I had one of those, and I think it was since the last podcast. So, always, always nice. Very nice. Uh, yeah, I uh, you know I mentioned I had my first uh, White Oak Highlight a couple weeks ago, and it was uh, pretty good. But uh, for me, it's been kind of limited on the uh, the beer front in terms of exploring new stuff. Kind of limited to whatever's around my house at the moment, uh, for understandable reasons. So on my end, had a uh, Monkish Black Kisses. I know I've mentioned this one in years past. Um, just a really really good sour with uh, blackberry and uh, I believe it's boysenberry. Um, Very red in color, very good in general. Um, Highly recommended if you can trade for it. Um, I had had a bottle of uh, KBS from Founders sitting around for a while uh, for 2017. So that had some nice age on it. Uh, Really, really enjoyable beer, super smooth. Always love that one, especially now that it's a little more readily available and especially in California where you can find a lot more of it. Someday I will get a bottle of KBS and actually go through aging it. I just always end up drinking it because KBS is so good. I feel like KBS, it gets easier now, especially because you get the four-pack. Yeah, I mean, you can find it pretty readily, so it's, it's less of an issue. I might do that next, next time. Uh, when, do they release all year now? or? Uh, that one still comes out at, at a specific time. I believe that's, that's December, I January. Yeah, but if you can get a four-pack, um, it's definitely a, a very cost-effective way of, of trying out some kind of uh, aging process on your beers and doing a little bit of vertical action down the road um i know for me like i i I just incidentally put that one on ice because um like the second i got it um my wife who is usually who i split barrel aged beers with got pregnant so didn't really have any opportunity to drink any of these things uh for quite some time uh but yeah got to uh got to finally start breaking into that stuff again um i have I know on the vertical front, I do have uh, Black Tuesday dating back to 2014, and I have 14, 15, 16, 17. My buddy just bought me 18 because I'm not in reserve society anymore. So that's going to be fun, but I have no idea. Like I'm going to need to like develop more friends over the course of time because yeah, drinking drinking five bottles of Black Tuesday seems like a like a bad idea, even between like two of us. I mean, I guess you can wait like 21 years and. Then it'll work itself out. Then it's just three of us, though. And then, That's and then, true. And then you're adding probably like, you're probably adding like one and a half percent alcohol, um, like per year. Which just I, eventually, I, I assume there's a diminishing return on that. There is. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would say, although like there is one, but at the same time, like you're at some point, like it just becomes like a little, it just becomes too boozy, and like the sugar either wears off or or completely like just goes too hard but that yeah makes sense. i i would talk to 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 former uh and f- former noonzer and uh and friend of the pod uh aaron goldfarb on how that uh how that goes because he has he has almost the entire uh brewery uh christmas series at this point they're uh they're 13 days or 12 days sorry um series and he has almost all of those and they're all kind of barrel aid situations and, and and even he's very skeptical of at least the first you know one or two, at this point. But yeah, nice. 
Um, also drink some Firestone Lager because that's a great one to have around. But yeah, moving on to uh, Tennessee State before we talk a little bit of basketball. Um, NC State and Syracuse keep kind of bouncing around on the line, which is funny because like NC State's ranked, I think, 22nd. Syracuse is not ranked, as we mentioned before. And yet people seem to be seeing something um, that says Syracuse could win this game. Dan, do you see it? Uh, I think the home the home field is a, is a legit thing. We play much better at the Carrier Dome, uh, especially in big spots like this. Um, I think the night, I, I wonder what kind of impact the night game will have. I, I assume the Dome will be, you know, as fired up as it gets uh, once you get like the, the 30,000 diehards in there. Um, hopefully we get the 20,000 non-diehards in there too, but I'll, you know, we'll wait and see, I guess. Um, yeah, I think the line actually opened minus one for Syracuse and it's time to move to NC State. I think it's at minus two NC State now, which is basically, if you had asked me before the week and said, you know, it's an open at Syracuse minus one, what do you think will happen? I'd probably say it ends up at NC State with a couple points just because... There's the money. Um, yes. And it's also like, everyone kind of knows what they're getting with NC State. Syracuse is a little more volatile. Um, I think people will... Kind of, I don't think people are factoring in the Clemson loss for them super too much. And honestly, I don't think that's really a mistake. I think we always talk about how like what a fallacy the transitive property is. So saying like we lost to them close and they lost to them big doesn't really have too much of an impact. Um, that said, you really don't know anything about NC State either because the because the West Virginia game got wiped off the map. Not no yes. pun intended. Like because the West Virginia game is gone. What you end up with is an NC State team that cleaned up against the teams they were supposed to, though didn't really look like amazing in doing so. Um, and then a team that also has like two conference wins against teams that they probably should have beaten. That's very fair. Um, NC State, like they their uh, their resume was significantly hurt by the West Virginia game being washed out. The UVA win actually looks a lot better than, than anyone thought it would. Um, with them having, I, I think they control their own destiny to win the Coastal, which is silly, considering that uh, Mendenhall was basically like telling people they were going to suck before the season. Controlling expectations. He, 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 was, he learned the lessons from Babers, who, who, who set an exact date when things would get better, and then proceeded not to deliver on it. And despite the fact that he was getting things to be better, he didn't deliver on it, and that got people pissed off. So I think he learned he learned lessons from them, from Babers, and from others, and just said, "Yeah, we're gonna suck." And then when they didn't, it's like, "Oh God, you guys are awesome." Mendenhall, like basically, ACC media days. I want to look up the quote. I, I'm not gonna do the effort here because we're gonna move on from Virginia because they're irrelevant to this podcast largely right now. But they he basically said like, "We do not have a good roster, <laughs> and we are not gonna be very good, and uh, they're pretty good." Uh, that being said, NC State beat them by two touchdowns, which, again, doesn't really mean that much. UVA could still be pretty good. The Coastal is just such a mess. And, honestly, most of the all – the, all the ACC besides Clemson is such a mess. Um, they also beat BC by five, which is, like, a decent win. But I think was uh, – BC without, was not. Without Dylan. Yes, Dylan was out for that game. Um, and then they got roasted by Clemson. But, like, you know, if we caught Clemson on a different week, we could have gotten toasted by Clemson too. So – I'm not going to put that much stock into that. But like you said, if, if they played West Virginia, we would know way, way more about what this NC State team is. And they like they don't look great against James Madison. Um, they beat Marshall by 20 on the road, which is like fine. Like that's not a bad result, but it wasn't like they destroyed Marshall, who's good. Um, Georgia State, I, I don't care what they did. They won 41-7. means nothing to me. Um, so, yeah, there's still kind of a mystery. Um, 
that being said, I think people are very comfortable with like NC State just being who they are, and they have a senior quarterback, although he hasn't. I don't think Ryan Finley's looked. I mean, he looked bad against Clemson. I don't think he's like really taken a huge step forward. Um, he's kind of the guy he's been. Yeah, I mean, he's been great, really. I, I think aside from last week, I, I think that you can pretty much bank on the exact same player you're, you're you're very used to at this point. Yeah, I mean, he just doesn't like he doesn't. He actually he seems to be a little more interception prone this year, but yes. overall, like. He doesn't make still super accurate, though. He's still... He's very accurate. With 68.5% still? Yeah, his yards per attempt are up to 8. I just, like, he's not going to he's not gonna jump off the page at you. Like, honestly, like, even DeVito does when he's croaking like he was in that UNC game. Like, he's a, a he's a very good college quarterback. He'll probably be, like, a sixth-round pick. He'll probably end up starting a game for, for some stupid franchise. Definitely Tampa the Bay. <laughs> very possible After, after Jameis Winston gets traded. Oh, definitely. Actually, no. I check that. The the Las Vegas Raiders will will have uh, the Las, Ve- the well, Las Vegas year, Raiders will have Ryan Las Finley Vegas under Raiders center. Of Anaheim or something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, they, they will really have should. Ryan Finley under center. I I really hope the Raiders get stuck in like I what my I think my dream scenario for the really stupid Raiders thing that's about to happen because they don't have a home next year. The NFL should just try out London with the Raiders for a full year, but make them get be called the Las Vegas Raiders of London. I, how about let the let the the London Supporters Club name him, like like na- name the team for just the year. Oh, that'd be so good. Like have a vote, let people pay in, like basically run it like a Premier League club for just the year, and then scrap it and then put them in. Vegas. Or or treat it like a minor league baseball team and have a different like brand identity every game. Yes. Just like the super most obnoxious. British like stereotypes. I, I to be honest though, I don't know why they don't just put them in London for a year because they want to do it. They obviously want to do it, and this is a chance. This is their only they, the chance, Ra- really. The Raiders do not have a home next year. They're not. I mean, they they're probably gonna end up playing in Oakland for another year because everyone will just like get over it and and it, like stay together for the kids for a year. But um, like, it's either this or go to like the yet to be decided San Diego play stadium or. Playing UNLV Stadium, which I think has already been determined as like not really an option, so just stick with London for a year and see what happens. Why is that an option though at this point? Because I mean, they they're sticking the Chargers in in, a, in an MLS stadium. I think the, I think UNLV basically said it wasn't an option, but I assume like they'll fold if since they're getting a, a new stadium out of this whole deal. I think right. worse comes the worst, they'll fold on it. But again, like the NFL so badly wants to play in London for like wants a team there or like seems like they do. Stip the Raiders there for a whole year and, and see what happens. Anyway, I don't know. Oh, yeah, Brian Philly's going to be the quarterback for the for the, the Las Vegas Raiders of London um, after Derek Carr gets sent to the Giants. Uh, sorry. Um, yeah, it's fine. Whatever. Yeah, so Finley's a really nice college quarterback. Um, he makes good decisions most of the time. Um, his stats have gotten like, consistently better year over year. He's like what you want out of your senior quarterback. Um, I don't know that he's. I, I don't know. I don't love their weapons. No, they're they're not that. They they've never really been that good, and that's why I didn't understand why like everybody was like. Uh, they. I mean, Jalen Samuels was kind of a problem. Yeah, no, he was definitely a problem, and like Naheem Hines was too. But like in general, like I wouldn't say it was ever. It was never elite enough to warrant the potential like top three in a good ACC hype that, like, people wanted you to buy into. Like, even last year with the defense, like, 
again, that team still lost four games. They still went nine and four. Like there, and then this year, like there, there isn't necessarily like a guy that you can just point to. Like Kelvin Harmon, sometimes like Jacoby Myers, some like nobody's really there. And especially this week, like from everything I've heard from NC State fans, it seems pretty likely that uh, that Stephen Lewis is out. Um, that's not good for them from a pass catching perspective. Uh, it seems potentially Ricky Persons out. Ricky Persons one of their top two rushers. If they don't have oh, him, he, out? he might be. He's like he's been like the bright spot for their rushing attack because overall they're under four yards of carry as a team. But he missed a bunch of the early season games. Um, but then he broke out in that UVA when he had 108 yards. He was some of the guy I was going to bring up. I didn't realize he was hurt again. He could be hurt. So if him and Lewis are out. Pair that with a very slow pace, and again, this is me like being like very, very cautious about SU's chances here and not wanting to get ahead of myself, no matter who's under center. But adding those two potential injuries, I think Lewis is is, is much more likely to be out than person. Um, add in their slow pace; they're one of the slowest teams in the country right now. Um, and then add in one of the worst uh, special teams units in the country. And you know how we feasted on terrible special teams all, for the beginning of the year. Dan, like, I don't want to, again, I'm not jumping ahead, and I and, and I know you, uh, even more so than me, will trend super realistic. But, like, the ingredients are there for this upset. They definitely are. Um, I'm still, I'm still very, I think this is a legit coin flip game. That's, like, what every metric looks like, uh, is this being a coin flip game. Um, and I think those are all very legitimate. I think S&P Plus gives us a 47% chance to win. Uh, FPI, which I know people aren't generally fan of, but although I heard Bill C saying basically like it's pretty good, not great, but um, like it's actually decent. He that has SU as a fifty-one percent chance, so it's it's like everything's right in that that middle that middle uh, area. Um, it's hard to really know based on our quarterback situation, and I don't even know what if you told me like Devito will play the whole game versus Dungey and Devito will switch off. Like I don't know which I would prefer, which would make me feel better, but it's without seeing like what this QB situation will be going forward given what we know now, it's hard to really tell, honestly, like, how I feel about it. In these kind of games, I tend to be a little bit pessimistic. Um, so I'm, I, I'm probably going to pick... I, I've been picking NC State this week, but I do think this will be a really, really, really close game. Yeah, I think it's going to be a, a, a really, really close game. I know spilling the beans on my uh, prediction... Uh, I told back in the pack this, and I'll tell the uh, the predictions thread this on noons. I'm going with 38-34. I think that they just end up scoring a late touchdown, unfortunately, on a tired defense. Um, they don't run, like, again, at a very quick pace, but I think that us speeding them up might be to their benefit uh, by the end of the game. I think early on it might have them a little off kilter. Yeah, and uh, we've seen that. Like, Syracuse has gone on runs this year, so um, in both good and bad games. Um, I'm looking at the Bill C5 factors. I'm looking at NC State's. Um, they're very efficient. They are not very explosive, which helps us, because we, we get burned. Um, their average field position is garbage. Ours is, is really, really good. Um, they don't finish drives super well. Uh, which hey, same-sies. And uh, their turnover margin is quite bad ours is very good so i actually like honestly the five factors we definitively advantage us at least in like three of those um and then like finishing drives they they defensively they finish drives quite well um offensively we don't 
defensively, I think we do. I can't get our page to load. Offensively, they don't. Um, so that's just kind of a wash. Field position, giant advantage of Syracuse. Turnover is big advantage of Syracuse. Um, explosiveness, uh, Syracuse is kind of weird that way. I don't even know what our explosiveness numbers look like with the DeVito game in. I assume they went up. Maybe a little bit, but probably not enough to really matter when you look at like the lack of explosiveness otherwise. Like, I think for me, what, what I worry about is like, a couple things. Um, we're actually up pretty big. We're up. We're we're thirty third in ISO uh, PPP. Wow, that's we're up nice. to one point twenty three, and I I imagine that's like it wasn't. We haven't been that good the whole you know Babers era, and then we're sixteenth in marginal explosiveness. Defensively, it's an issue on both sides. Yeah, I, I think for me, like the biggest concerns are like how healthy or not are uh, Chris Frederick and Scoop Bradshaw. Like yes, yes, uh, Fitu Melifonwu. Um, Played really, really well. Um, About as good a game as you can ask for, a, like, a freshman getting his first real run. Yeah, he played super well. I'm, I'm getting more and more confident in, in Andre Sisco by the week. Uh, I know Trill Williams had a couple busted plays, but I think Trill, I think everyone's still super high on him now and super high on him in the future. Um, so we'll see what shakes out in the cornerback position. Um, I think that... If you look at, and I know you and I talked about this last week, and it's funny, like I'm not going to toot my own horn, but I think a lot of other people could have called this out, but I feel like we were loudest about it, that like the run defense like was probably going to get better by way of them coming off the blitz, and if they came off the blitz, then UNC was going to be able to pass on us. So UNC was able to pass on us, and they were able to pass on us with a pretty pedestrian quarterback in Nathan Elliott. Now, Ryan Finley, again, future Las Vegas Raiders London quarterback Ryan Finley, is probably <laughs> going to be able to do a hell of a lot more um, if, if we give him that. So I think that the defense is going to tweak things a little bit, try to figure out where that, uh, where that balance is between bringing the house um, and stopping the run. So if NC State is able to get, you know, again, maybe healthy Stephen Lewis would really be a terror. Um, but if, if, if NC State is able to figure things out um, and, and is able to really pass on us, I think it's not going to matter what the hell the run game does. It's not going to matter matter whether Persons is, is, is in or out. I, I think that if, if they can if they can pass at even a commensurate rate to, to what NC State to, to UNC did. Sorry, that's going to piss off a lot of Pack fans. Um, <laughs> if, if if they're going to be able to pass even close to what um, at the rate that what uh, UNC did. Uh, you're going to see NC State be able to really uh, to really run it up on us, and I think that that is where you know the who's going to play quarterback question comes in for Syracuse too. Yeah, the the, the horrible and also very realistic version of this game is Ryan Finley is just not getting pressured and sitting in the pocket and picking up eight, yard, eight yards of pass like every time he drops back and he completes seventy percent of his throws, and these are all all like within his stats, but also like I can just envision him going down the field and taking like a cool like five and a half minutes and storing touchdowns on more than half the drives and we just can't quite answer that efficiency um and that's in play for sure especially if our defensive backs are not healthy but that being said if we are able to force some turnovers if we're able to to just make the field position uh battle untenable for them which on paper is is how this could very well play out um you know this defense is is has been opportunistic this year. That's how, you know, when they took over with the system that, that he was installing defensively, that's what we basically said had to happen. Like 
you're going to give up some yards, you're going to give up some big plays, you need to pick off passes, you need to get big stops, and then get the ball back to your offense. The offense has actually been the side of that equation that often hasn't delivered. Now it seems like we're starting to. Um, but if that, if that continues to ring true this year, which is really the first year we've really been playing up to those uh, ideals, then um, I think we have a, a very good shot. Uh, if we allow Finley just to, to, to slice and dice us, um, even without like great playmakers, if there are guys open and he can just sit back and, and make his reads, then we're in for a long one. Yeah, uh, 100%. If we give him time, and this has been the case for every quarterback we've faced this year, if we give him time, we're screwed. Like, but at the same time, if we don't give him time, uh, A, he might still get those passes off because he's always been a good quick release guy. And B, then they're going to carve us up on the ground and like that could get really messy really quick. Yeah, I, I, uh, I do think the one thing that's nice is like NC State's running game has taken a, a step back, as we said. And especially if, uh, if person's out, we should be able to control that, manage that. It's also funny how, how uh, up and down the running, def- the rush defense like on a quarter-to-quarter basis was it in UNC where it was like pretty stellar for most of the game. And then it uh, basically got UNC, you know, it had UNC where they were going to win the game on it at the end until they didn't. So uh, more of how the first three quarters went, less of the fourth uh, in terms of that. Agreed, agreed, agreed. Uh, Dan, I already said my prediction. What is yours? Um, I'll go with the NC State win. Um, I'm going to go... Oof. Let's go 34-31 pack. Hey, that's about what I was looking at. Um, all right, wrapping up quick because I hear a baby crying in the background, and that means that my wife is having to deal with it on her own. Um, <laughs> uh, we won't. New addition to the podcast. Every I know. Uh, we won't talk about everything Jim Beheim said. I think the nickname stuff is funny. We're going to revisit that well quite a bit. Uh, the thing that we really should talk about quickly. Uh, again, very quickly, um, is the fact that Jim Beheim seemed to say some good things about paying players, but really, really came in with like, really came in with the heat uh, on the wrong stuff. And a lot of people starting to talk about it. And it's probably going to come up on the morning shows and shit tomorrow. Um, and that's unfortunate because if he really had just been like 5% less Jim, this wouldn't even be an issue. It's, it's so amazing how often, and I like literally at least two or three times a year, Beheim is able to say a lot and then have and then have one thing that he just should not have phrased the way he did or said the way he did, and that becomes a national story. And honestly, like it actually came in a day where a giant college basketball story happened. I had tweeted this at Mike Waters. Like today should have been the Adidas trial ending story, but no one knows what any of that means for the sport. It's so hard to parse like what that actually will transpire into. Basically, that like Beheim said a lot. He actually said a lot of stuff that most people would applaud, especially coming from a coach of his his stature and his general curmudgeonness. Um, it's including, like, I, he's pretty open to people being paid for their likeness, which is very common sense, but most coaches, I think, will still not go that far. And also, like, just increasing payments for, like, everything else. He doesn't want... He, and honestly, I don't think this is the craziest thing in the world. He doesn't want the schools to pay. And honestly, I don't think those of us who want the parents to be paid, the players to be paid, really care who does it. Yeah. Um, if they want to just bring the shoe company payments above board and like make it a thing that we all know is happening and like is legitimized, I think we'd all be fine with that. I don't care if Syracuse pays them. I just think they should make some money from something. Um, player likeness is like the most obvious thing in the world. So the problem was he then kind of ran with that one part and then him saying like, I'm, I, I make a lot of money cause I've been working for 30 years. Yes, we know, 
but like there's no way that was ever going to be taken well. So well, that and the like, NBA point that like made it even worse. The NBA point made it worse, and I and I think he was joking. Water said he was joking. Luckily, Dave McMenamin, who like somehow sits directly on the line between Bayham and LeBron James, uh, was around to like kind of try to clarify that, but the damage had largely been done. And LeBron obviously didn't get the context of it. And why should he? He wasn't watching ACC Media Day today. Um, but like, unfortunately, that became a whole like lightning rod, as anything with LeBron does. Um, but yeah, just like he, he, Jim just can't help but have like 10% of what he says on any given day get broadcast to like the universe and it not sounding good. And like, we totally understand why it didn't sound good. But there was so much else there that like, it would have been nice. I think a lot of people would have been surprised to hear what Beheim's thoughts on these tangential parts of this debate are versus like him sounding like a dick on like the, the grand part that went super viral today. So that was unfortunate. It'll blow over to his ba- And also Beheim doesn't care. Like, he does not care if he gets everyone mad at him. So no, he doesn't. It is what it is. No, he, he doesn't. And, and seeing like you know the typical like you know the, there's everybody then trying to carry water for Beheim and like just relax, like let this thing blow over. Jim's fine taking taking the heat. He's fine taking the flack for it. Everything's in writing of all the other stuff he said. It's just that they weren't as like easily. And that's the thing. Like Jim understands the soundbite, and he knowingly or unknowingly let the sound bites on the bad end become the story and like you know what like that's communications 101 that's pr that's marketing like again it's gonna blow over the morning shows will will talk about it they'll laugh about it maybe he pops on to a couple but then he also will just address what he actually said which is like yes he said that that that, that dumbass nonsense uh you know with a kind of cursory glance but you know i, I highlighted this in the article before the the heat actually even started coming which was he said incre- increase paid meals, which is already in place. He said pay for full four years of education, whether they stay or not, which is awesome. Which is coming if it's not already in place yeah. for every conference. Right. So, like, definitely do that. And, like, no games pay for over. Pay students to travel for, for holidays. Like, it's a lot of really good stuff he said. Yeah. Stuff that's, like, beyond where we've even gone and stuff that's, like, probably coming. And, the again, the pay for use for likeness, I think, even at this point, even the most hardened anti-paying players people have a very hard time debating that point. Agreed. And yet... Like it's still not not welcome. So the fact that like our our like very curmudgeonly you know mid seventies coach uh, said that I think is a big deal. And unfortunately, like 05 percent of the people who saw Bayham stuff today saw that he said that. Agreed. 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 Uh, I think that's a good place to stop, if only because I want to uh, rescue my wife from what is certainly something resembling hell. Uh, with a probably screaming if it in a closed door situation. Um, so on that note, I'm, I'm glad that you're ringing endorsement of parenthood, John. I I rarely had one before this. Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Dan, thank you as always for joining. Uh, much obliged, and uh, nice to to add some color to Bayheim and some color to a lot of you know wacky and and uh, and interesting things going on in the Syracuse fan base right now. Yeah, we really we're really having a week. We we are indeed. Um, anyway, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you everybody for tuning in to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk, on wherever else you listen to podcasts. And go orange. Go orange. The all new Toyota Rav Four asks, "What if? What if your ride was refined and rugged at the same time?" Introducing a car that's got style and substance to spare. The all-new RAV4 Limited. Featuring a sophisticated, muscular new exterior and available options like a premium JBL audio system and panoramic roof. The all-new RAV4 Limited. 
Toyota, let's go places. JBL and Clarifier, registered trademarks of Harman International Industries, Incorporated.